Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. Well, guys, it's a different week, isn't it? A lot of weird stuff going on. This is Tyler. You know where you are. This is the Cashflow Guys podcast. And this week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how to preserve what you got instead of making more based on what's going on with recent events. So let's go ahead and kick this off. And I want to hit a couple key points. And here's why I'm doing this episode, okay? I'm not going to be all doom and gloom, the sky is falling and all that, but I'm not going to downplay the importance of what's going on either in the marketplace. Everything is kind of topsy-turvy, upside down. Nobody knows whether they're coming or going. I don't think there's any such thing as an expert in current events and what's going on right now, regardless of what your Facebook profile may or feed may say. But let's hit some important stuff. First of all, to my stock friends, no, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that investing in stocks is stupid and you should only do real estate because I don't believe that to be true. I believe that if you are putting your money out there in the field to earn and you have control over what's happening to it, nothing wrong with that. Here's the thing about the stock investors or for stock investors, and this is a little bit of um, peace and happiness I'm going to throw your way to help you through this process. Understand this, losses only come from two significant events in the stock in, in, when you're investing in stocks okay the sale of stock when the market's down so if you don't sell you can't say you lost money if you don't sell okay or the company you're invested in goes out of business so let's say you've got i don't know your ira tied into uh, coca-cola and suddenly coca-cola goes out of business well then you would suffer losses but if coca-cola stays in business then you're good to go so then what do we do and I've had a lot of friends recently say, oh, I'm, I'm losing my, my portfolio's worth half of what it was and this, that, and the other. But understand that's the nature of the stock market. It's, it's going to rise and fall because it's controlled by things that are outside of your control. So what do you do? Well, when the market's like it is, as long as you don't have a plausible fear that the company is going to actually go belly up, just do nothing. Tell, call your broker and tell your broker to not do anything. Understand this, though. Brokers get paid when they buy, and brokers get paid when they sell. So they're going to want to talk you into selling. Mutual fund managers, hedge fund managers, they get paid based on transactions, okay? And that's one of the ways they earn their money. So keep in mind that the devil is going to try to convince you to make some changes. Now, there are financial planners and people like that that are maybe a little more ethical and wise, Maybe their pay plan is structured differently. Maybe they charge a management fee based on the amount of money you have in, out in the field or on the street. And they may give you the hold advice. And if you get hold advice, I think that's good advice. Now, by no means am I a world-class economist. I'm not uh, Jim Records or, or Robert Kiyosaki, but I am a logical guy that understands the psychology behind what's going on right now. Everything that's going on in the marketplace is fear-driven, Okay. All of the reactions, whether they be underreactions or overreactions, are fear-driven. Let me explain. Obviously, fear-driven overreactions are common. People are terrified that bad things are going to happen. And in my opinion, they could be justified. They could be very well justified. Others are not reacting at all. That's also a sign of fear. They're, they're not doing anything or they're laughing it off. That's just their way of dealing with fear. So we want to, during these times, pay less attention to what everybody else is doing and instead focus on what we got to work with, focus on ourselves, focus on keeping our family safe and secure, focus on keeping 
control over what we can as far as our investments, okay? Understand this for you stock folks. As long as you're invested in companies that have solid histories, the stock prices will eventually rebound. But for that to happen, consumer confidence is going to have to be restored, and that's going to take some time. Because right now, people are a little wackadoodle, as they probably should be. But this, these, these things will return. They will come back. You'll be fine. The key here is that you don't be one of those people that overreacts by dumping your portfolio when it's down, because then you will take a loss, without a doubt. And for those of you that are real estate investors, you're not, I would, I would uh, not be tongue-in-cheek right now, because you're not insulated from this situation either. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we are heading for a major recession. I don't care who you are, there's no avoiding it. If you spend any time understanding or learning about money, okay, learning how money and currency is impacted by things beyond our control, th that's really what you need to be focused on right now. Forget about the coronavirus. The coronavirus, that's one thing, okay? And that's very serious all in itself, don't get me wrong. But you really need to focus on learning about money right now. This is where, when you didn't finish all of the Kiyosaki's purple books, maybe you should. This is where you start reading books written by people that are a lot smarter than, than me, like Jim Records for one, and other folks. Go through the Rich Dad podcast and think about who Robert has on his show. Those are some pretty savvy dudes. The Real Estate Guys Radio, that's a podcast of pretty smart guys. They only bring on other pretty smart guys. They spend a lot of time learning about money and learning how markets shift and move so that they're able to recognize opportunity and they can also recognize peril before it comes and shows up on their front door. Okay. If you're a buy and hold real estate investor, don't sell now. Okay. If you do, if the market's down, and because here's the thing, people are not excited about buying right now. There's not a people, but a lot of people standing in line, especially novice investors, that are excited about buying right now. They're worried about vacancy and things like that. So if the consumer confidence has been altered, when they're not, people are not exuberant like they were a few weeks ago, then maybe you just chill out for a minute, let things sit. Okay, as a buy and hold investor, your property should already be cash flowing anyway. And if you're worried about it's losing its appreciation, let's remember why we got into this game in the first place. We shouldn't have been investing for appreciation anyway. We should be investing for cash flow. Now, I know a lot of you that get into the bigger apartments, you make your money when you do a value add improvement, you raise the income, and you're purposely raising the income. Yeah, the cash flow is nice, but you're looking for that big payday every five years. Well, you guys may have a, have trouble. You may have a problem, okay? If you are a true buy and hold investor, just hang out, wait it out. Instead, wait for the markets to rebound. If you absolutely need to sell, just wait for the markets to rebound. Ask yourself, how critical, what's going to happen if I don't sell? Yes, the property values will go down, but they, here's the good news. Just like the stock market, they'll come back. People right now are saying, I'm not going to pay my rent, and they're doing this rent strike and all this other stuff that, that they're doing because they're feeding off of social media. But once logic kicks in, once they read between the lines and realize that even though the, uh, the Trump administration has, has waived evictions for a period of time on, on uh, HUD properties, guess what? You probably don't have a HUD property, which means you can evict all you want. Once the courts open back up then, and your people aren't paying, they're going to get a legal nastygram on their front door because you need to follow the letter of the law, okay? This is where 
it's time to be a businessman or a businesswoman while still having compassion at the same time. Yes, there are people that are in a bad situation beyond their control. However, there are also bad people that are just taking advantage of a bad situation. Learn how to tell the difference between the two. There are a segment, there is a segment of our population that only reads the headlines, feels like a victim, and then starts deciding that they're going to capitalize off of this type of situation where so-and-so, CNN or Fox News said, I don't have to pay my rent. So screw you, landlord, I'm not going to pay my rent. How do we deal with that, guys? Well, we pick up the phone, or better yet, we get in the car, we go talk to those people. Because once you talk to them and politely explain logic, what you will find is that they're probably decent people in the first place. They, people these days tend to subscribe to the group mentality. So if you got one bad apple yelling and screaming and carrying on in the group about how they're a victim and they shouldn't have to pay those nasty landlords rent, next thing you know, you got 20 people thinking the same thing, and then some people put it in their Facebook profile, and it goes viral, and then we have this hashtag rent strike thing that's going on. But understand this. Try not to let that spook you, okay? Don't let that spook you. Instead, reach out to these people. Go have a conversation with them, a polite conversation. Don't threaten them because understand they're already scared. And if you go get confrontational with them, they're going to turn that fear into anger. And then you're going to have a bigger problem on your hands. That's when you start experiencing damage or they move out in the middle of the night and all these crazy things that people do. So your job as a, as a property manager or a landlord right now is to calm people, to help people remain calm. And if somebody has a legitimate concern, like let's say they were in a job and they lost their job. Maybe they were a bartender or they worked at a restaurant or whatever, they lost their job. If you have it in your, in your heart to be compassionate towards them, then why not? What's the downside of that? Okay. Is if it's not going to crush you, then maybe you let them slide a little bit. Maybe you don't charge them late fees or whatever it may be, but think about how can you solve this problem for both you and your tenant without having to crucify them and destroy their credit and put them out in the street and all that. Now I understand I'm not suggesting that you let people live at your place in it for an eternity for free. Let's be honest. I'm a greedy capitalist pig. And if people are not going to take advantage of Tyler and Jill, people start acting a fool, then I will definitely put them out on their, on their butts. But our tenants know that we are good people and we're here to take care of them. Therefore, because we're good landlords and we're good people and we solve problems, I believe, and maybe just the future will prove me wrong, but I believe that because we take good care of our tenants and have for years, they will continue to do the same for us. Now, some of those people may be bartenders and, and whatnot and, and waitresses or whatever, and there may, they may have interesting situations that maybe need a little bit of compassion on our part. And I think of it as a problem solver because that's what I am. I'm not a real estate investor. I'm not a realtor. I'm, not, I'm none of that. I'm a problem solver. As a problem solver, I need to look at each individual situation one-on-one -on -one with the affected party, have a practical, realistic, logical conversation with them and see what we can do to work together to solve the problem. The same answer does not apply to every problem. For some folks, it's like, well, Jimmy, you're just going to have to go be one of those new $150,000 or 150,000 Walmart workers are wanting to hire. You're going to have to go suck it up and get a job. You can't just sit home on the couch, by the way, the couch doesn't belong on the front porch. Put it back in the house where it belongs. You're going to have to grow up and, and start adulting and go get a job. I'm sorry that working at McDonald's didn't work out for you, but now Burger King's still open, and they're doing curbside, so go get a job. 
Okay, I'm not going to sit there and bend over and let these the tenants that aren't willing to join me in solving this problem take advantage. Absolutely not. So understand that there's no, and I'm seeing a lot of things going on where landlords are sending these blanket letters out to all the tenants. First of all, it's cold and impersonal. Get off your ass, get in the car, go talk to them. Or get on the phone or go get a Zoom account that's free, by the way, and have them click the little link on their cell phone and go live with them on Zoom and have a good conversation with them. Be a good guy, okay? Because now's the time for you to shine. So have a great conversation with these people. Ask them what's going on. Ask them if they're okay. Be a good human. If they express they're having trouble, maybe offer some suggestions. Maybe the suggestions are so simple as asking them, have they applied for any sort of rental assistance programs? Have they gone to their local church? There are lots of things popping up right now to help good people in bad situations. So be that answer person, okay? Be that person that is the, be a leader in this situation, okay? If you're a buy and hold investor and for whatever reason you're suddenly not cash flowing, if your cash flow is not enough, let's say, if, if the you had to drop your rents maybe to get tenants in place, think about what other amenities you can add to the property that don't cost you a lot of money. Things like going to a scratch and dent appliance place and buying a washer and dryer and then leasing it to the tenants can save them money, believe it or not. I don't know the last time you went to a laundromat, but since Jill and I have been traveling the country, we're doing a lot of laundry at laundromats and it gets pricey. Every time you do a load, it's like four or five bucks. So maybe you can go, because they don't have the cash to go buy a laundry, or laundry machine themselves, Maybe uh, you can go get a, a used laundry machine or something like that or washing machine or dryer or both, add it to your unit and raise the rent a little bit. Maybe if it costs them 50 bucks a month to do their laundry at a, at a laundromat, and how do you know that? Well, you ask them, how much do you spend doing laundry every month at a laundromat? Well, I spend 50 bucks a month. Well, if I could sort it out to where you could only spend 30 bucks a month on more and would that $20 be a help to you? And they'd be like, heck yeah. Okay, good. So now you go and watch Craigslist and you spend two, three hundred bucks on a washer and dryer, assuming that you have hiccups in place. Maybe if, if it's a house as a garage or if it's a, like all, a lot of my units, I shouldn't say all of them, a lot of my units have washer and dryer hookup inside. That's something that we always try to buy them that way if we can. And if we can't, then we try to add it if the space is there. But that's a very inexpensive modification that can start putting money back in your tenant's pockets while putting more money in your pocket. Interesting, isn't it? You can do the same thing with storage. So landlords, if you've got a little yard or something like that, maybe you can go get one of those storage buildings. And maybe if the payment on that storage building is 80 bucks a month, you can ask the tenant to pay you 120 bucks a month and it's still cheaper than 150 a month they're paying for storage somewhere else. So you see how in every situation you're solving a problem for you and the tenant. I can give you a hundred different reasons or ways that you can help these people that are a lot longer than this podcast episode is going to go. But I want you to dig deep and think inside yourself. Think about what you can do immediately to help these people without putting yourself at risk. Obviously, it's just like flying in an airplane, right? There's a reason why they want the mommy and daddy to put the mask on and breathe so that the junior doesn't, so they're awake to help junior. And this is the same thing, okay? Now, if you're a house flipper, maybe you need to get to work, get cracking, finishing these projects, get this thing listed and sold. Don't sell them yourself, guys. If you are not an expert at marketing houses for sale, then you got no business trying to do it. So hire a realtor that doesn't suck and have them sell your property and get it the hell done. Because what I can guarantee you will happen if you're flipping houses right now is your buyer pool 
just got diminished a lot. So you're going to need a lot of creativity to get stuff done and get projects wrapped up and get them sold and maintain your profitability. Maybe you sell it as it sits. Maybe you don't do the, the flip part or the fixed part. Maybe you just do the flip part. You throw five, 10 grand on top of what you paid for it and you blow that thing out the door. Because there are lots of people out there that are crazier than you that are going to continue to try to flip through a recession. That's not your fault. Put it for sale. If someone buys it, well, that's their problem. Okay? Again, a good rock star agent can help you with this. If your properties are located in the state of Florida, call me, my team. I manage a team of agents. We will kick ass and take names and get you top dollar for your flips. I don't care if they're fixed or not. But for that to happen, you got to get on my calendar. Let's see what you got and work it out. Okay? If you've got uninvested funds sitting in a 401k, okay, and, and these are from a former job, simply transfer that money into a self-directed IRA. Here's why. Right now, your money sitting out there in a mutual fund means that somebody on Wall Street who's on commission is making buy and sell decisions with your money without you having any control over what's going on. So if you have a 401k plan from a former job, you can transfer that money out of that 401k. Therefore, taking that money out of that broker's back pocket and putting it into a self-directed IRA, okay? A self-directed IRA is an IRA that you can control what you're invested in, which means you can decide to invest in real estate. If you still want to buy stocks, you can still buy stocks with a self-directed IRA. You can buy all kinds of things with a self-directed IRA. You can loan money to buy, help people buy jet skis if you want to. Lots and lots of ways you can invest your money and have control. Our primary source of raising capital, mine and Jill's, is from folks that have self-directed IRAs. Because in every instance, I can definitely outperform anything they could do in the stock market. Because I give them a form of control. They get to say yes or no. That's huge right there. And we educate them for free, and that helps too. If you have no control over what you're invested in, you are definitely exposing yourself for potential loss. If you don't understand what you're investing in or you do not control it, I guarantee you, you're going to lose money. It could be losing money because somebody's making a bad decision on your behalf, or it could be losing money because somebody else is helping themselves to a commission just because they're doing a trade that has no benefit to you. So keep that in mind. Those of you that have pulled the trigger on my private money crash course have realized how easy raising capital is. I've got people messaging me and emailing me going, holy crap, Tyler, this is awesome. I can't believe this it was a whopping 49 bucks. Yeah, because guys, I made it, I dumbed it down, stupid simple, so that anybody within the sound of my voice in a matter of a few hours can learn exactly how to raise capital without having to jump through a bunch of hoops, without having to front any of your own money, without any of that. I give you my proven, proven, I've done this hundreds of times, this pitch, that's going to get you through learning how to raise money without having to beg people for money, without having to freak anybody out. And more importantly, you can help good people that right now are probably terrified because they're watching their retirement accounts dwindle away. Okay. A word about buying before I wrap up this episode. Everybody's asking me if they should stop buying. My answer is, well, it depends. Here's the deal. I would buy if the numbers made sense, but I would underwrite, which means I would be looking for I would figure 30 to 40% economic vacancy, okay? Which means 30 to 40% of the, of the, what I believe to be the full-time income, I'd reduce it by that much and see how it, how it shakes out. 
because what you're going to find is that vacancy is going to increase, okay? Because people are scared we're in strange times. So I'm going to underwrite for 30 to 40% of economic vacancy. So I'm going to knock that off my income column. That means if I think a property is going to generate $1,000 a month, generally, in a perfect world, now I'm going to base it on six or $700 a month. That's going to give me that cushion so that I can do right by my investors. I can do right by my family and make sure that I can continue to maintain the property and take good care of my tenants. Outside of that, do not buy a deal until you can structure a deal that leaves lots of meat on the bone. I know a lot of you have been buying skinny deals because you've been itching to invest. I'm telling you now, don't do that. Make sure you allow for that 30 to 40% of economic vacancy when you're underwriting right now. And for a lot of you, that means that you're not going to be able to do any deals because maybe you're not good enough at negotiating to make that happen. I'm sorry that's the case. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't start underwriting like that, you're going to take a bath, a big bath. So don't take a bath. Well, take a shower instead, right? Make sure you allow for the vacancy. Make sure you're smart. Guys, if you get stuck, you're terrified, you want to get on the, on the phone, get sorted out. Tyler, what the hell do I do now? How should I market right now without being a dickhead? Or any of those type of stuff, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Get on my calendar. Let's have a good conversation about how we can help you. If you haven't pulled the trigger on the private money crash course, don't wait any longer. It's under 50 bucks. That's less than the cost of lunch for two people. It'll take you a couple hours to get through the training and you will be a powerhouse. Don't miss this market shift. I swear on the other side of this, you're going to be like, I wish I would have listened to Tyler, but I didn't raise any money. So I don't have, can't get any deals because the rest of us are going to buy up the deals. Those of us that have taken or built the private money crash course are going to be able to buy whatever the hell deals we come across. So now's the time privatemoneycrashcourse.com. Don't say I didn't tell you. Boys and girls, have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.